We are looking at Jeremiah 17 today. And before I get into that, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, my family used to have a huge tree at the end of our street. Massive. I mean, we would go down to it and the kids would play on the roots. And uh, when they were little, they could, you know, hold hands and all stand around this tree. It was so wide around and massive, brought shade to the whole neighborhood. And one day there was a windstorm and we go down to the end of the street and this massive tree had blown over. I mean, and it was laying down across the street and the, you know, the base of it was seven or eight feet tall. Uh, but once you looked at it, you could see immediately why it had blown over. All the roots underneath were rotted out. And so it couldn't withstand the storm because it wasn't rooted. Well, today we're talking about rootedness. And we are in a, a crisis right now in our society in many ways. And Old Testament uh, scholar Walter Brueggemann says, our current crisis is not primarily a crisis of meaningless meaninglessness, but of rootlessness. And we can see that in our world. It's more, our world is more transient than ever. People are constantly moving and changing and changing friends and changing jobs and changing cities and changing churches. But it's not just physical, it's spiritual. We value the next big thing more than the same faithful thing. We wander spiritually, drawing from here and there, and end up with this me-centered spirituality that has no depth, no roots. Well, in our passage today, we're given a vision of rootedness. And Jeremiah 17 is actually really similar to Psalm 1, where you have this vision of a tree planted by streams of water. But in Jeremiah 17, it's in the context of exile. Uh, God's people, Israel, lived in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon, and Israel was dragged off hundreds of miles to a place where they didn't want them to be. But God wants them to flourish there. He calls them to put down roots in a place where it's not easy to live for him. But of course, rootedness is not the only option. This passage, Jeremiah 17, it gives us two images that represent two visions of life. You have a shrub dying in the desert, and you have a tree planted by streams of water. So let's look at this passage. I'll read Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 10 for us, and then I'll pray as we get into the word. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good to come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is God's word. Let's pray. 
God, we pray today that you would give us ears to hear your voice, that you would open our eyes to see the beauty and the power of the gospel. And God, ultimately, that you would open our hearts to receive of your love. God, we want to experience something today that we can't bring about. We want to experience change at the core of who we are in our hearts. And so, Lord, where there are hard hearts, would you soften them? Where there are wounded hearts, would you bring healing? Where there are rebellious hearts, would you bring them to repentance? And for those who are running, God, would you draw us near to you? Lord, as your word is preached, we pray that your spirit would move, drawing us to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's two visions here, a a shrub in the desert and a tree by a stream. I want to look at each one of these visions. The first is the shrub dying in the desert. That's what you see in verses 5 and 6. And you've got to understand, I want you to have this word picture here because this is in the Middle East. It's a very dry land, lots of dirt. It would be very dusty and rocky, little or no grass at all. Vegetation would be sparse. And this shrub that it's talking about here was most likely a juniper shrub. And this shrub is essentially a picture of self-reliance. Look at verse five with me again. It says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. So this shrub is a picture of self-reliance. It's a person who looks for strength by digging deeper into themselves. This is the self-made man, the self-made woman. And if we're honest, this is the wisdom of our age that we hear about today. Find yourself. Uh, Look out for yourself. Believe in yourself. Trust yourself. Be yourself. That's what we hear constantly. The Bible says this is what leads to being like a shrub dying in the desert. And to go even further, this is essentially what sin is. It's turning away from God and relying on ourselves. The the theologians of the church, like Augustine and Luther, talked about sin as curving in on self. We were made for the glory of God. We were made to live in awe and wonder and delight in God's glory. But sin is when that starts to curve in and we start to worship ourselves instead. We were made to to find our identity, our satisfaction, our joy in the Lord. Sin is when that starts to curve in and we start to think, I'm going to build my own identity and I need to satisfy myself. And and life becomes a self-improvement project where I do it off of my own strength. This is a picture of self-reliance, self-justification. And self-reliance leads to several things, what we see in this passage. First, self-reliance leads to shallowness. So I told you earlier, this is most likely a juniper shrub. And what's interesting about juniper shrubs is that they have a very shallow root system. The roots don't go deep. They spread wide. And so because they don't go deep, they can't withstand the heat of the summer or the cold of the winter. And they're susceptible to drought. There's no way that they could make it through a drought. This is a picture of 
of a life built on self-reliance. There's no substance. It can't withstand the difficult seasons. There's no depth. It's a shallow root system. So self-reliance leads to shallowness, but also to loneliness. Look at verse six. He says, he shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. It's uninhabited. This is not a place that's suitable for flourishing. And it's this shrub in isolation. And it should be obvious that self-reliance leads to loneliness. We were made to rely on God and others, but when we reject God and we rely only on ourselves, then we're choosing isolation. And there's this tension that we have in our society today. Everyone wants community, but everyone also wants autonomy. And here's the thing, you can't have both. You can't have genuine community where you have deep relationships and you're enmeshed in a network of people, you can't have that and have autonomy where I get my way all the time. I determine what's right for me. I do what's best for me. You can't have autonomy and community. So what I think what we've done in our society, we've essentially chosen autonomy and then tried to have a veneer of community. We have what Shelley Turkle, the sociologist called, says we're alone together. So we go in spaces, we have places where we're with other people and we even have a shallow digital connection with many people, but it's all a veneer. It's all a show because we ultimately have chosen autonomy. It flows from self-reliance. So self-reliance leads to shallowness, loneliness, and then third, spiritual malnourishment. In verse six, he says that this shrub shall not see any good to come. There's not much of a future for a shrub in the desert. There's, no, there's not much water that it can draw from. It has shallow roots and there's no substitute for water. I think this characterizes the age that we live in. We live in an age of spiritual malnourishment. And we can talk about the importance of all these other aspects of life, but we're spiritually starving and people have shallow root systems and we're trying to look for substitutes for water, but there are none. And so what you have here, the shrub in the desert, it's a picture of how self-reliance leads to shallowness, loneliness, and spiritual malnourishment. It's a picture of our society in many ways, but maybe it is for some of you today. You might hear that and think that describes how I feel in my life right now. But there's another way. In verses five and six, it talks about the shrub dying in the desert. But in verses seven and eight, we're told of a tree planted by streams of water. And so just imagine the scene here. It's still the Middle East. It's still a dry land overall, but there's a river and a tree planted right next to it. And this tree is flourishing because it's next to the river. And so if the shrub represents self-reliance, the tree planted by the streams of water represents a God-reliance. Look at verse seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. So there's a reliance on God here. 
that this is calling us to. And faith, nobody goes from not having faith to having faith. Faith is a transfer of trust. And what we are all prone to do is to trust in ourselves. And that's what our, that's what our flesh tells us to do. Our sinful nature is going to say, look out for yourself. Do what you want. Everyone else is wrong. You're right. And then our society is going to come and back that up even more. So trust in this sense of the Lord, it's not, you're not moving from no faith to faith. It's a transfer of trust from self to God. I'm not going to rely on myself. I'm going to rely on God's strength. It's saying, I'm not going to look within as I'm constantly told in my society. When, what do you do when you're tired? When you need direction, you look within. No, we're not going to look within. We're going to look up. We're going to look to the Lord because he is our strength. And I love in this verse that it says, we trust in the Lord, but it says the Lord is our trust. See, the faith or trust isn't the goal in and of itself. Everybody has faith. The question is, what is the object of your faith? And you are not saved by the quality of your faith. You might, you might come here today having this much faith. Praise God for that, because you're not saved by the quality of your faith, but by the object of your faith. And that is the Lord who is always faithful to us. I think this idea of relying on God is really difficult for us. One of the reasons for that is because we're Americans and we prize independence, right? Like independence is one of the greatest virtues in our culture. And we think you're better if you can do it on your own strength. We think if somebody can't do it on their own, they must be weak. And so what we try and do in our lives is we think, if I could get to a level of independence, then I'll have made it. Then I'll be strong. Then I'll be right. But listen, church, the goal of the Christian life is not independence, it's reliance. As we grow in maturity, we, we don't grow out of relying on God. No, we grow into deeper reliance on God. And so this God reliance then cultivates a whole different kind of life. First, it cultivates rootedness. So you see this in verse 8, where it says, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. So I want you just to think about how this imagery works. Why does the tree planted by the stream flourish? Because it's close to the source of life and nourishment and growth. And what happens is the the roots of the tree go down deep beneath the surface and the roots stretch out towards the water. And as they are close to the river, they get the nourishment of the water. And so because there's depth to this tree, it's nourished, it grows, it has stability. The tree is healthy and stable because it's connected through its roots to the source of growth. And so for us to be like a tree planted by streams of water means that the roots of our lives are going deep into the Lord. We're rooted in his presence. We're rooted in his word. We're rooted in his grace. And it's that connection. That's where we get the nourishment. That's where our growth comes from by having roots in the Lord. 
And so if you want to have depth in your life, you've got to put down roots. And so this God reliance leads to rootedness, but then also to resilience. Let me read verse eight again. It says, he's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. So it talks about the heat coming and it makes clear that that heat represents um, what you fear. In verse eight, it says, he does not fear when the heat comes. So let me ask you this today. What are you afraid of? So many people live by fear. What is it for you? Are you afraid of losing your job? Are you afraid of being alone? Are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid of amounting to nothing? Well, when the heat gets turned up, when one of those things happens, where do you go? Do you rely on yourself and and take matters into your own hands and say, I gotta be stronger and I'm gonna figure it out? Or do you rely on God? Remember, the shrub has very little resources to draw from when the heat comes. But the tree that's planted by the stream, the roots grow deep, has a never-ending source to draw from. That's why the leaves are green, even when the heat comes. This talks not only about heat, but about drought. And this clearly is talking about things that, that make you worry. In verse 8, it says, is not anxious in the year of drought. Some of you today are anxious. You have anxiety. You're worrying about things in your life. What is that? What are you worried about right now? Well, when the drought comes, when it looks like your worries might become reality, where do you draw from? The shrub has no access to water because it has a shallow root system. But the tree planted by streams doesn't need to be anxious about the drought because it's connected to the very source. And one of the things I want you to notice about this passage that's so powerful is that when it talks about the tree planted by streams of water, it doesn't really tell us much else about the surrounding environment. And I think that's intentional because it doesn't matter. As long as the tree is by the stream, it's going to be okay. When we think about our lives, we often think, well, if I could just change my circumstances, if if I just were, if I had this job, if I could just get married, if I could just get through this thing, if my kids could just deal with this problem, if whatever it is, we think if my circumstances would change, then I would be fine. But this passage gives us a vision of life where our source of growth and nourishment and life is from the one thing that's unchanging. In fact, what, we, what is implied in this passage about the circumstances is that they are changing. There's seasons there's, and, and, the, and there's drought that comes. So in our lives, you are going to go through difficult times. You are going to go through seasons of drought. The heat is going to get turned up at times. And yet, the river is there. And if you have roots that go deep and are connected to the source, then you can grow and you can thrive and you can flourish amidst all of that. You can have a spiritual resilience to you. Because if you are rooted in God, then you can thrive anywhere. 
This is a vision of God's people thriving in exile. It's not a place that's suitable for flourishing. But the tree is planted by a stream of water, and that's why it can. So this God-reliance leads to rootedness, resilience, and then third, flourishing. In verse 7, in the second part of it, he says, It does not cease to bear fruit. So the vision here is not just to survive, but to flourish, to bear fruit, to grow. And it's when the roots are healthy and go deep that the tree flourishes and bears fruit. And it's this God-reliance that leads to that. So we've got two images here that represent two visions of life. The shrub in the desert represents self-reliance that leads to shallowness, loneliness, and malnourishment. The tree planted by a stream represents God-reliance that cultivates rootedness, resilience, and flourishing. Two visions of life. But what's the difference between these two? Well, I'll tell you, it's what's beneath the surface. That's the difference between the tree and the shrub. And the problem is in our lives is that we don't spend a lot of time working beneath the surface. We spend so much of our time on what's external. How do I look? What's my reputation? How am I perceived? How's my Instagram profile looking? How's my resume looking? How, what do people think about me? We spend so much of our energy and our time and our money on what's external. But the difference between dying in the desert and flourishing in exile is what's beneath the surface. So that's where we got to go. The difference here between these two visions is the heart. See, what's beneath the surface of a tree is its roots. What's beneath the surface of the person is the heart. And so if you want to change, if you want to grow, if you want to be healthy, then you've got to start with the heart. The heart determines our lives. So often when people think about faith, uh, they just focus on their behavior. Like, okay, I know that a Christian's supposed to do this, this, and this. And so we just focus on our behavior and I need to do more of this and stop doing this. And, 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 and here's the thing, you can do all of that and you can exert a lot of willpower and you can actually change some of your behavior and yet your heart still be far from God and, and still be miserable on the inside. And listen, God cares about your behavior. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna imply that he doesn't. But God isn't just going after getting people who will do certain things externally for him. God is looking at your heart. God ultimately cares about your heart. And I don't just mean like your feelings or your gut, the way that we often use that word in our culture today. I mean that biblically, the heart is the, the core of who you are. It's the inner person. It's the steering wheel of your life. And God is looking at your heart because if he gets your heart, then that impacts your behavior. It impacts every aspect of your life. And so the heart is what determines whether we're like this shrub dying in the desert or the tree planted by the streams of water. But there's some really bad news if that's the case. And we, we see that in verse nine where it says, 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is very different than what you hear in our society today that says, just follow your heart. Just look within. Well, this says that the heart is deceitful above all things. And so if it's deceitful, it means it's not fully trustworthy. That word deceitful actually means uneven. The Hebrew word means crooked, like things that don't match up right. And our hearts are like that, aren't they? Like our hearts give us conflicting desires. Like, I want to be in shape and I want to eat everything that tastes good. (laughs) Conflicting desires, right? They both come from the heart. But at a more serious level, I want to get my way all the time and I want to have deep, true friendships, right? Those are conflicting desires. And so we have to recognize that the heart is deceitful. If you follow your heart, it will lead you to destruction. But not only is the heart deceitful, it's desperately sick. This word literally means beyond cure. We're we're not people who, we're not basically good people who just make little mistakes here and there. We're people who have desperately sick hearts. And this means that while there are a lot of problems in this world, our greatest problem is not political, psychological, or social. It's spiritual. The problem beneath every problem is a heart that is desperately sick and far from God. Now, this is a difficult diagnosis. Because the Bible is saying the core of who we are is the most broken. That's different than our society would acknowledge. Yeah, we all make mistakes here and there, but deep down there's something within you, the core that's actually trustworthy. This is saying the heart is the core and it's desperately sick. It's deeply broken. It goes on in verse 10 and it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So the heart is deceitful and the heart is desperately sick and God knows about it all. So God doesn't only know about the behavior and our actions. He knows about our heart. He knows about our motives. He knows about our loves. He knows about what drives us. And he searches our hearts. Now, he searches our hearts in the sense that he knows our hearts, but he doesn't search in order to shame us. He searches our hearts to save us. And we actually spend so much of our energy hiding what's in our hearts from others. We cover it up and then we project an image. But God knows. God knows what's in our hearts. And listen, that might sound like a frightening thing at first because we've all got junk in our hearts. We've all got stuff that we're ashamed of. We all have stuff in our lives that we think, if, if everybody knew about this, I don't know if they would still love me. And so when we hear God knows our hearts, it might bring up fear. But this is where I want to remind you of God's character. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And when God looks upon you, he looks on you with compassion. And when you see God's character and his kindness and his patience and his love, then when you realize he knows my heart, he sees what's going on in there, it's not something that we need to be afraid of. 
It's something that we need to open ourselves up towards. Because God wants to bring healing to our hearts. He loves us. He searches our hearts not to hurt, but to heal. And so we talked about how this is bad news, that our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick. But the bad news is a setup for the good news, that by God's grace, our hearts can be healed. The gospel is not a get well manual. It's a remedy to our sin-sickened hearts. It's good news that God can change us from the inside out. And God has done this in sending his son, Jesus Christ. See, God's people were in exile in the Old Testament and God made promises to them and they experienced partial fulfillment of that. They were brought out of exile. They were brought back into the promised land, but it was all partial fulfillment. And so their hopes looked forward to a coming of a Messiah who would come and ultimately deal with our sin and bring the kingdom of God and set all things right. And Jesus is that Messiah. He entered into exile on our behalf to bring us at home with the Lord. And Jesus lived a perfect life. In all that he did, he was completely merciful and just. In all that he did, it was loving towards God and towards people. And yet he took that perfect life and he offered it up for us on the cross. And we're told that Jesus was crucified outside the gate. He was an outcast. He was cast into exile to redeem us, to ransom us into the kingdom of God. Your sin, your shame, the things that are deep in our hearts that we're afraid of other people finding out about, Jesus takes them on to himself so that we might be utterly forgiven. Not just partially, not like, okay, I'll forgive you a little bit, but now you got to work off the rest. Or, okay, I'll do this for you if you'll do that for me. No, God is merciful. God is gracious and salvation is a free gift in Christ. We receive it not by working, not by earning, but by trusting. Having a posture of surrender, which is at the same time, a posture of reception. Saying, God, my life is yours and I receive your grace. So Jesus died for our sins and then he rose from the grave. So we're not talking about a historical figure, but a living savior. He conquered death. He walked out of the tomb and he's alive today. Amen, church? And so we can know Christ. He's the living God. And this good news of God's grace in Christ, it's not just something that we believe in our minds. It's something we receive in our hearts. Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised from the dead, you will be saved. So we're not talking merely about intellectual assent. You could believe that Jesus was a real person who died on the cross, rose from the grave, and that he accomplished something for your sin. But you can believe that without trusting with your heart. And so let me ask you this question today, church. Will you open your heart to receive of God's grace? Will you acknowledge your sin before him so that he can wash you clean? 
Will you bring your wounds into the open before him that he might bring healing and comfort to you in your pain? This is what the gospel is about. The prophet Ezekiel tells us that God will take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh that beats for him and lives for his glory. The problem is, is that it's easy for us to have hardened, calloused hearts. I think that's especially happened the last few years. It's been such a hard few years for all of us. I think we'll look back in years to come and and recognize how much we all went through. And to think about what that does to our hearts, we have to be honest about that. Some of you, your hearts have been calloused. And if you think about a callous, the way a callus works, if there's a wound, that it hardens over top of it. And so some of you have been wounded, you've been hurt, you've gone through difficult stuff over the last few years, and your hearts have become hard. They've become calloused. Well, the Bible compares our hard hearts to hard ground. And to go back to this metaphor of a tree planted by streams of water, you've got to have good soil. But what happens is soil can get packed down so hard to where the water can't really get through. So in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, God gives this calling to his people. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. So fallow ground is unplowed. So that means it's soft underneath, but it's hard on top. It's been beat down by the weather and the wind. It's been stomped on. It's hard on the top, but there's something soft underneath. And so what you have to do with fallow ground is you have to break it up. You have to break it up so that the rain can get in and bring nourishment and bring growth. And so we have to break up the fallow ground of our hearts through the confession of our sins, through the acknowledgement of our pain, through vulnerability before God and before others of acknowledging our need, acknowledging our weakness, even embracing our weakness as a way of experiencing God's strength. We've got to let the gospel get down into the core of our hearts so that it can then bring change into every aspect of life. It's a vision to be like a tree planted by streams of water. I want to, I want to close by giving you a few practical charges that flow from this. I want to, I want to call you as a church to be rooted in Christ to be rooted in the church, and to be rooted in Carpinteria. So first, I want to call you to be rooted in Christ. And this is, where, this, is, this is the heart. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So just as you received Christ through faith, he's saying, so walk in him. So that means that you don't become a Christian 
by clinging to God's grace and then grow by working really hard. No, working hard is important. We need to strive. Effort matters, but it's a grace-driven effort. As followers of Jesus, we don't work for grace. We work from grace. And so you are rooted in Christ. And to, to live out of that, then you have to understand the riches that you have being united to Christ. Let me tell you a story. This is a true story. There was a woman named Anat. She uh, lived in Israel. I think this was about 10 years ago. I read about it in the paper. And Anat wanted to do something special for her mother. And Anat's mother lived in an apartment. She'd lived there for decades. And uh, she collected a lot of stuff. You might say she was a bit of a hoarder, okay? The apartment was very dirty. And so one day, Anat's mother was out and she came in and cleaned the entire apartment. Got everything clean, threw the trash away. And she wanted to do something really nice for her mother. And so she noticed that in one of the oldest things, one of the dirtiest things in her house was her mattress. And so she got her a brand new mattress. And so Annette's mother comes home to her apartment and sees everything. She's walking through it. And wow, it's so clean. And this is incredible. It hasn't looked this way in years. And she's just overwhelmed with gratitude. She's seeing all the new things. She goes into the bedroom. And then her daughter tells you one more thing. I got you a new mattress. And when she tells her this, her mother, all of a sudden her smile is gone. And her face goes white. And, and she says, well, uh, what did you do with my old mattress? She said, oh, I, I, I threw it away. It was old. It was dirty. I like, got rid of that thing. She said, well, where is it? They took it to the dump. And, and the reason why Annette's mother couldn't, was in disbelief in that moment was because over the years, she had been storing all of her money in that mattress. And up to that point, she had had about a million dollars inside of her mattress. True story. And her daughter had taken it, had taken it to a dump. They went and looked, and they went to the different dumps, looked everywhere, tried to contact everyone, couldn't find it. It was gone. Now think about this. Anat's mother had been sleeping on riches most of her life and never tapped into it. I think that there's a lot of Christians who are sleeping on the riches of God's grace that we have in Christ. In Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, you are forgiven, you are adopted, you are made new, you are made whole, you are washed clean, you are sealed by the Spirit. This is all true of you, not because of what you've done for God, but because of what God has done for you in Christ. And yet there's a lot of Christians who forget that. And they're not just, we don't just have the, the riches of Christ underneath us. They are inside of us because we are in Christ. So remember, you are rooted in Christ. Live out of that. Secondly, I want to call you to be rooted in the church. This is so important. We need one another. We need, we need one another just as much as we need God. Because God tells us that. And our love for God is shown through our love for one another. And God loves us through one another. And so we need each other desperately. 
And so we need to be a people who are rooted, not just in generic relationships. We're called to be rooted in the local church, to have our commitment to Christ being expressed in our commitment to one another in a shared mission. And so some of you have been here for years. Some of you have been here for a long time. Some of you are new here. I want to call you today to have a a, a rooted mentality in the local church. You're not a consumer who just comes and receives, and then when it doesn't go good for you, you find a different church. You want to be a contributor, a disciple, somebody who's committed, who puts down roots, who shows your commitment to Christ in your commitment to one another. If you go to the Sequoia National Forest, it's it's an amazing experience to stand before these sequoia trees and look up. I mean, massive trees, 200 feet tall. I mean, it's humbling to stand at the base of one of these trees. But what's interesting about sequoias and one of the reasons that they can grow so tall is because their root system not only goes deep, but they go out sideways and they interlock with one another. And they can withstand almost any weather, the wind, the snow, rain, whatever it is, they can withstand the weather because their roots not only go deep, but are interlocking with one another. And I've actually heard that with sequoias, that if one tree is sick, so to speak, it's unhealthy, it's not doing well, it will actually draw from the nourishment of the other trees. So to be rooted in Christ, we also have to be rooted in the church with one another, interlocking root system, knowing that we're connected. You're not alone as followers of Jesus. So I want to call you to be rooted in Christ, be rooted in the church, and then third, be rooted in Carpinteria. Uh, You know, this, this passage in Jeremiah 17 is preparing them for exile in Babylon and it was, a, it, was a, it was a difficult place to live in. They, they didn't want to be there. And yet God tells them to put down roots. You see this in Jeremiah 29 where he says, uh, plant gardens, build homes, get married, have kids, and seek the peace of the city to which I have called you. You know, I'll tell you this. Babylon was a hard place to live. Carpinteria is not, okay? Uh, you guys are not suffering, suffering like they were in Babylon. This is a beautiful place. And yet, we are in exile. We're not in the Garden of Eden. It is a hard place to follow Jesus. And God is calling you to be rooted in this community and to seek the peace of this community. And that's a powerful thing in such a transient society today. I think of, um, well, I talked to a Benedictine monk a while ago, and he told me that these monks take a vow of stability. It's interesting because there's a lot of different vows that they take, but one of them is a vow of stability. And he talked to me about this, and he said, we have such a tendency to wander and to move from one thing to the next And so they take this vow of stability and he says that stability is a spiritual skill of getting somewhere by staying put. And when he said that to me, it stood out so much because we often think I need to get somewhere by doing something new or by going to the next place. And listen, there are times for that, okay? There there are times to do new things and move to new places and new seasons and all of that. But it's so easy for us to overlook the value 
of, of rootedness. And so when we think about this vision of a, a tree planted by a streams of water, by, by a stream of water, um, the goal is both depth and breadth. Those things aren't in competition with one another. But for the branches to reach far, the roots have to go deep. And, you know, rather than challenging you here, church, I, I want to encourage you because Reality Carpenteria, your branches have reached far. You've planted eight churches that today, I mean, many of them as we speak, are proclaiming the gospel and exalting Christ all over, not just California and in different places in the United States, but even in Europe. And your, your branches have reached far. But that's because your roots reach deep. God has planted you in this city by a stream of water. And your roots go deep as a church. Your, your faithfulness, your stability, your sacrifice, your consistency has borne so much fruit in this community and in many other communities. And so I want to encourage you with that. And I want to, I want to encourage you for your roots to go even deeper and to know that your stability, your rootedness is ultimately in the Lord himself. And you can continue to flourish and withstand whatever heat that comes, whatever drought that comes, however the wind blows, you can withstand that because God has planted you by a stream of water and your source of growth and nourishment and life is unending. It's the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much for the water that flows, Lord, for your grace and your love and your mercy that are unending. And so, Lord, would you help us to be a people who are rooted, whose roots go deep and are nourished by the water. I pray for these brothers and sisters here, Lord. I pray that they would be rooted in your son, Jesus Christ, that they would be rooted in the local church and they'd be rooted in this community that you've called them to and seek its peace. And God, we know that we can only do that because of your grace. And Lord, you have been so gracious and kind to us. We were rebels and you have made us sons and daughters and given us a seat at the table. And so God, we pray that as we respond now, we ask that in this time that your spirit would lead us and guide us. Would you stir our affections to worship you? Would your spirit give us prayers crying out, Abba, Father, to you? If, if there's conversations that needs to happen or reconciliation that needs to happen, would you give us courage and guide us into those spaces, God? We want to live for you, not just in song, but with our hearts and with all of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.